Welcome to the Collective West podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to supporting young people in Melbourne's West. My name is Julia. And I'm Michael. Hey everyone, it's Julia and Michael here and we're very excited to come to you with a very important topic today and that's managing stress and burnout. So we've definitely all been there, whether you're feeling tired, anxious or stressed out. Today we'll be discussing our own very experiences of burnout in 2020, how we've identified it, some tips and tricks on how we are overcoming this and hopefully you'll find it interesting. The part two was more like take two. Take two. <laughs> so we we originally recorded this last week and then we realised that the recording didn't work. It kept jumping. Yeah. And it was really unfortunate because we had a really good story to tell of our own experiences of, of experiencing burnout. And mm. I think we learned a lot about each other in that time and how great we how good we are at keeping it from each other. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. is, I think, why it's really important that I wanted to re-record this episode because, as I mentioned in the first episode, the importance of being able to talk openly about burnout. Mm. And I said this the first time and I'll say it again. We want people to do as we're saying and not as we do. Definitely. Because we are, I, I dare say, classic type A personalities who will burn ourselves out in order to achieve whatever we want to achieve, which is great because something that I didn't cover the first time that I wanted to cover this time was that we actually get rewarded for it in our careers, which is why it's such a there's a fine line between being able to just work hard but not burn ourselves out and yep. knowing when we're crossing that line is almost like a superpower. I think it's worth talking about how you get to burnout, which I think, you know, is obviously through an accumulation of stress. And I think we really want to be able to define that because something for me is that I actually do enjoy stress. There's good stress and then there's bad stress. Good stress gives you that extra push, the extra motivation to finish a task or work really hard on a particular project or whatever it is. But of course, it's recognizing those trigger points where the stress becomes bad stress, where ongoingly it becomes a problem. It's worth acknowledging there's a difference, certainly through my line of work, running my own business, but in a more particular being in events management, it is quite high stress, but we really enjoy it. You know, we love the adrenaline. We love the pressure that comes with the job. And in particular for me, and I'm sure Michael, you say the same, is being people with our culture and growing up in the West, we are used to this mentality of, you know, heads down, bums up, working really hard. Certainly for me growing up, I put a lot of pressure on myself and a lot of the stress is self-inflicted, um, you know, and choosing to, you know, study more or work more instead of doing things like socialising, going for a walk, looking after my health, all of that kind of stuff, because that's something that I've always felt like it's important to do in order to achieve what I want to achieve. And that's been something that I've been doing since I was a kid, you know, it's something that I grew up with in terms of a mentality. So I feel like over time I have a really high tolerance for stress. Like it will take a lot to put me off track and really turn that stress level into a bad stress. But generally I can kind of take on a lot of projects. I can take on a lot of workload. That's something that I've kind of grown up with. Well, I think it's very similar. Mm. And it goes back to the point that I made at the start where we know that every hour you put in, is almost an hour of output or outcome that you're going to get out. So there's a clear direct relationship with if I'm going to work really hard, I'm going to reap the rewards later. 
but it gets to the point of knowing when is too much and when you've pushed yourself too far. And then that leads into the first point that you made actually where the difference between stress and burnout. And I think it's really important to know the difference between the two. And you rightly point out that stress experience acutely or in in short bursts is actually a really good thing for your work, especially if you work in high paced, high pressure environments where you've got to deliver something exceptional in a short period of time. So, you know, uh, whether you're a production manager or event manager or an athlete, they all operate on that level of stress on the body. But it's when you start reaching a prolonged state of stress where your body's constantly under that pressure all the time, even when you're trying to sleep, that's when you get to the point of burnout. So I would say that stress and burnout are two of the same things, just on a different scale. So stress is really just that daily stress you might feel. You might feel it on an hourly or minute by minute basis when you're working, but then you're able to switch off and you don't you no longer feel that stress. It's when you get to the point of burnout for whatever factors maybe is that you start to feel it for a very long time. It starts to impact your sleep, your motivation, your relationships, how you start feeling about the day generally and your general mood and your attitude. I think it's great to just identify which one you're feeling and you almost don't know what you don't know. And this is the danger of burnout that I've found is that it's never like flipping a switch. I like to think of it as the analogy of the frog in the water. The analogy goes that you put a frog in room temperature water in a pot and then you slowly heat up the pot to the point where the frog doesn't know that it's being cooked. And I think that's how you describe burnout is this gradual daily grind where you you get burnt out, but you actually don't know that you're burnt out until you're burnt out and mm. it's too late. Yeah. And I think that's another danger with burnout. It's not only the prolonged nature of stress, but also that you don't know that you're burnt out. With your analogy, it just made me think of um – you know, Shrimpy in Simpson, he was taking Shrimpy for a bath. <laughs> the lobster. Up, yeah, the lobster. Yeah. A hot <laughs> bath. Up, yeah. Ended up cooking it and yeah. it's dead, you know. I mean, like, that's a bad analogy, sorry, <laughs> for a comparison. Anyway, jokes aside, uh, I totally agree. I think it's like sometimes that realisation is really important. And so we do talk a lot about the trigger points, like ident- being able to realise that, oh, that's triggering for me. And also to add to that is I feel like sometimes people are not aware that you're stressed or you're heading into burnout. So it's actually really important for those listening to kind of start to reflect on their own lives and how they're dealing with stress on a day-to-day basis to find those trigger points and self-identify because it's really hard for a partner or colleagues to be able to go, oh, hey, you know, and clearly between us as well, like we saw each other quite regularly last year and we both had burnout (laughs) moments. Yeah. And we didn't even realize that we were experiencing that. We talk on a regular basis. So a lot of that is to do with, you know, self-identification and self-notifying that and saying, okay, this is where I need to stop doing whatever I'm doing and take some time for me. So I think for me, how I identify that I'm stressing or leading towards burning out rather than just simply working hard is that I tend to feel panicked. (laughs) I tend to panic a lot. And like I said before, you know, like growing up in this kind of high pace, you know, hardworking type environment, it takes a lot for me to start to freak out about stuff. Like I can have 
speakers not turn up. I can have weather changing. I can have thousands of people in. I can global pandemic. Yeah, exactly. You know, like it's like whatever it is thrown at me. I usually kind of take it on pretty calmly. But when there's certain things that is not that big of a deal that starts to make me panic really easily. You know, my heart starts to race faster. I start to kind of think about it a lot. That's generally my points that I've learned over time that it's kind of okay, Julie, this is a sign. Other aspects is definitely the fact that I feel grumpy <laughs> privately at home because I find that, you know, especially having to be a boss for a team of people, running your own business, dealing with a lot of clients, like 99% of the time I have to be smiling. You know, I have to be looking after the team. I'm always positive. You're the energy in the room. And I'm always conscious of, you know, teammates' behaviours and personalities and um, emotions more so than mine. So most of the time I'm kind of at work, regardless of how crazy my day is, I'm always smiling. But when I pass that line of I'm just working to I'm really pissed off at everything, (laughs) that's when I'm like, oh, okay. And Victor would be the first to know, obviously, being my life partner and also my business partner. He's always like, okay, what's up with you? Because you're getting shitty at everything. And that's when I'm like, okay, I don't know. Everything's annoying me now. (laughs) And then the the other two aspects I'll touch on, which one I think is kind of common for a lot of people, which is suddenly I don't feel hungry. You know, I don't feel like I need to eat. I'm suddenly superhuman. I'm like, don't worry about lunch, breakfast or or dinner. I can just work 24 seven. I don't have time for coffee or whatever. And I'm fine. And that's when I know, you know, there's something up with me. And then the last one, which I know that when we shared this in our episode that had the technical problem, uh, which shocked you a lot, (laughs) is a new thing that I developed in 2020 was the fact that I started feeling like vomiting in the most kind of bizarre kind of way. Like I would just think about something, whether it's waking up in the morning, going to have a shower, which is usually the space where I would do my thinking and planning for the day. I would think about just going to work or whatever it is. And suddenly I started feeling like I want to throw up like instantaneously. And I would have to be like, no, you know, like chill out or whatever. I got to the point where this was happening quite regularly. And I didn't even realize because I didn't have time to really like think that this is strange that I was just like to myself, you don't have time to deal with it. You're fine. Okay. You're not, you're not unwell or anything like that. You can go to work, go to work, you know? And then I realized it was happening like throughout the day. It didn't, you know, didn't have like just a routine to it. It's like anytime that anything that was triggering me or, you know, as a very competitive person, every time I could see, you know, my competitor might be doing something different or I was, you know, highly stressed about whatever. I started feeling like throwing up. (laughs) I still remember when you told me that and not to say that it was weird yeah. or anything like that. It just, I I, I didn't know because mm. it's not like we weren't talking to each other at that time. We were recording pretty frequent, yeah. I think weekly yeah. or even fortnightly yeah. and you, you kind of never showed it. Yeah. I just thought everything was okay and you're sort of powering through it. Yeah. And what you mentioned last time when, when we had a chat about this was the hard bit was that people were, it's when you're in the busiest bit, when people mm. say, oh, you're doing so well. That actually didn't help. Yeah. <laughs> it actually had more pressure to you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I know because I think you asked me was first response was, is this, when did this happen? Like, was it in April when the pandemic was, you know, at its um, scariest moments and obviously business was, wasn't going very well. And to be honest, it was kind of happening for me around that October, November, December period. And then I think you were like, what? It went on for so long. And, you know, for those who know me personally or know about our company, you know, like that was our high last year. We were flat out. We were so busy and 
I was so thrilled for us being this busy, you know, with new clients, new projects. And strangely, you think that should put a lot of my worries away and why would I need to be stressing? But all of a sudden, because we were delivering so many projects, you know, we were expanding our team. We had a lot of pressure on us because everyone was suddenly like, pat on your back, good job. You know, JT, now you're, you know, in your heights and everyone else is struggling, but you're obviously doing really well. Suddenly I felt a lot of pressure. We were at that point where we were changing, trying to move the team from being part-time because of COVID back to full-time employing new people. You know, I wanted to make sure that we were making that as a strategic move and it wasn't financially just something that we needed to do, do then and there. So there was a lot of pressure there. And then I also knew my team was working really hard to deliver these projects. So again, you know, the pressure mounted once more. And so this was happening. And like I said, I think it was it started in that kind of October phase and then it became more regular, definitely. And I think it only just the penny really just started dropping in December, at the beginning of December when I was like, man, I'm looking forward to my break. And it was happening more and more frequently. Then I was like, I started obviously telling only, you know, some family members what's going on. First response was like, are you pregnant? And I was like, no, I'm not. (laughs) This is something more serious. And then I went on holidays for three weeks and stopped and it went away. And I haven't had it since. (laughs) I I think the biggest thing, and I couldn't ask you this the first time because I was still in a state of shock. So you didn't tell me this before we started recording. <laughs> yep. so I was really shocked last time I heard it. But how do you manage your own burnout while also managing like five or six people's emotions at the same time, as mm. well as potentially their burnout? That's a great question. I don't know if I have an exact answer because I don't think, you know, on reflection, I don't think I handle obviously my burnout that great because I, the fact that I didn't even realise I was having this issue. We definitely had burnout within the team, I won't lie. You know, the team worked really, really hard during that period to try to get us across the line with a lot of the projects. But it was kind of going, I don't know, you just kind of build up this mentality of like being the mama bear or, you know, the mother duckling or whatever, that you're kind of sh- shielding all of these issues for the team at the forefront because they're the one that is you know out there working for you before I kind of even deal with my own problems so I don't have a, a straight answer to be honest it's more like we were doing regular check-ins and we were very open with the team saying hey if you identify any issues or timings which some of them did they came to us and said I need to have a few days off and we gave that and you know to be honest Victor and I just worked our ass off to pick up other parts and also then I'll probably one of the answer I could give is identifying when to pull in help And for us as a company, we got to the point where we were very busy and we knew despite the financials and anything, we wanted to make sure that we were well resourced. And so we brought in contractors. So that was kind of, I guess, our way of going, hey, we need help to deliver all of these projects and make sure that, you know, we're looking after the team. And so we started bringing people on board. Is there anything you'd specifically want to do differently? It's hard to say because last year was such a unique year. You know, it's not like I could foresee these projects coming so hard and fast to be able to plan out staff properly to make sure that everyone was finishing decent time. We were discovering things, we were throwing things in. Because everyone was in lockdown for Melbourne anyway for like friggin' forever, like I think it was an accumulation of things. So everyone was just like really heightened. So I don't know if there's anything that I would do differently, but definitely – I'm trying to put things in place for this year because we are getting busy again, which is great. Yay. (laughs) And I'm trying to work really hard to ensure that 
the team collectively kind of well spread across the projects that we are taking time to do social things together. We're going to see a comedy show next week and doing all of that kind of stuff together to make sure that the team morale is up and personally self-development for me as well you know as we'll go into like some of the things I'm trying to put in place for myself to improve because I feel like as long as I'm clear in my mind I can then look after the team well in that way. Well I think the other thing that really got me about your experience of burnout last year was actually the timing Mm. and not because it was a busy period but because it almost coincided week for week with my burnout which I thought was really coincidental or maybe we burnt each other out I don't know. (laughs) That could be a factor as well. Maybe it's the collective worst. It could be it could be the podcast that's, <laughs> yeah. that's burning us out. But very similarly, what I started to notice, there are sort of three triggers that throughout 2020 started to come up more and more until it reached the point where I could no longer ignore it in October. I know that I'm starting to get burnt out if my sleep is impacted. So I'm usually a person who can switch off after even a stressful day of work, relax a little bit, maybe exercise. And then when it comes to bed, I usually just switch off and I'm, I'm out for a good seven to eight hours and I, and I wake up and I feel fresh. When I'm starting to feel burnt out, I will start to feel that my heart rate is a little bit more elevated, even trying to sleep. So obviously sleeping is really difficult when your heart is beating faster and you're not relaxed. So my sleep will be impacted by maybe one to one and a half hours. So I'd sleep later. So that means I would wake up at the same time just having less sleep which then doesn't help my burnout because now I'm tired and more irritable. The second thing that I started to notice is after sleep. So I'm, you know, usually a very positive person, positive guy. I like to take on the world and take on really difficult tasks. And when I woke up those mornings where I felt burnt out and after probably a terrible night of sleep, I felt that I just couldn't do it. Like I just had no motivation to just even start the day. And I know that if I don't have a great morning, like my afternoon is not going to be better than my morning generally. I'm usually at a lower energy in the afternoon. So knowing that one, my sleep is impacted before I go to bed. Then when I wake up, my motivation or mindset for the day is really low. And then throughout the day, what I'll start to feel when I'm burning out is my productivity just declines. It just goes straight to the bottom. And it got to a point in... October where I was sitting at my desk reading this email from a client which wasn't objectively difficult or nasty or mean but I got so overwhelmed by just having to give a response to this client I just didn't know what to do and I literally sat at my desk for about an hour and a half trying to craft back an answer that at any other time in the year would have taken me like five minutes and I wouldn't have thought about it I would just be like yep write this out send it off done move on to the next one And that's when I started to know, okay, things feel disproportionately bigger emotionally on me than they actually are. And that was the last straw. So I ended up calling my director at like 4.30 PM. And look, you're you're a business owner, you manage people. If someone asks for a phone call that late, (laughs) it's not a good sign. It's not, I've I've been through it. (laughs) It's not a good sign. You're not calling to ask how your day was. Yeah. So I, I had to sit there and basically just, I just broke down. I kind of just broke down in front of my director and said, look, I can't do this anymore. And she had already known that I'd been feeling burnt out for a, for a number of weeks. And I had in the previous weeks already taken every Friday off just to try and manage it. But it got into a point where it, that just wasn't enough. And I had to do the hardest thing that I've had to do and actually just drop everything and step away for two weeks. I dropped everything. I just, um, I handed or delegated things off that I could delegate 
I told clients this is going to be delayed for this reason, for personal reasons. And really the, the thing that surprised me most was I was preparing to have to apologize to clients for the delivery, but some clients, instead of reacting in an angry way, they actually asked, are you okay? Like, is everything okay? Mm. Like, don't, don't worry about this project. If it has to get delayed another month, let's just mm. get up whenever you, you feel better. Mm-hmm. And being in that situation, feeling so low about myself and then being met with empathy and compassion, I don't know, it just kind of lifted me and it was like, oh, great. I like that took all the pressure off me. And I, honestly, for the, for the next two weeks, we're still on lockdown in Melbourne, so I couldn't really go anywhere. I could just go on two-hour walks, mm. I think, at that point yeah. and see like one person, I believe, yeah. for a picnic. Yeah. Just stepping away was was good enough. And the learning that I had from that was in previous years, I would have been more systematic with when I took my breaks. Mm-hmm. So in 2019, for instance, I made sure that every quarter of the year I took either a long weekend or a full week off, depending on just how you know, how burnt out I felt. And because we were in lockdown for so long in 2020, I never did that. I just felt, it felt like kind of a waste that, oh, why, you know, why use your leave and all you can do is just stay home and do nothing, at least get paid for it and accumulate leave while you're working. I look back and I said, if I could go back in 2020, I would make sure that I still took those quarterly breaks. And Mm -hmm. the learning I have in 2021 is I'm planning out those quarterly breaks, Mm -hmm. pandemic or no pandemic, I'm still going to take them because- you need to have those breaks. And if you're a person like us who naturally defaults to just working harder when things get tougher, you have to then develop systems to make sure that you break (laughs) um, or you take a break because you will break. And that's what I found myself doing in October. After the two weeks, I hit new levels of productivity. I came back, I was ready to go. I was getting kind of bored on my breaks, which is probably a good, yeah, sign. good sign. So I, I was, I took on two new projects, delivered them really well under really tight timelines. The client was difficult, but I handled it. Mm. I just felt great. I, had, I felt like I had a, a bit of a new lease on life. So often when I feel like quitting my job, it's more of a sign of I need to take a break because I'm yeah. actually burnt out. Yeah. I don't actually hate my job. I just, I'm, I've taken on too much for too long and mm-hmm. I just need a break. Yeah. So that's, that was my experience yeah. in 2020. And you rightly say that it was so unique in the sense that if it was any other year, I don't think I would have pushed myself to that level mm. because I was previously already so deliberate with taking breaks, whether it was just a long weekend or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Added on to that, you couldn't see anyone. Yeah. So you couldn't even just have like a night where you'd go out with friends and just yeah, have a good yeah. laugh and social dinner. things. Yeah, because that, yeah. that takes away all the pressure of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And you couldn't even do that. And and this is exactly our point about like how it's so internal as well, like this burnt out feeling and, and the stress and overworked that you, people around you can't identify it for you. You have to self-identify because I, like I said, the same thing with what you were going through with me. I was like, I had, dude, I had no idea. <laughs> And I remember you started taking those Fridays off and you would say to me, oh, I'm taking those Fridays off, but um, I'm doing stuff for, for Collective West on the Friday. And I was like, oh, okay. I thought you were full time. And then you're like, no, no, I'm just taking Fridays off. And then you were like, but I'm doing stuff for Collective West. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then now I'm thinking back, I'm like, dude, you took the day off to rest and you ended up working on Collective West anyway. <laughs> I mean, I still had more time off. I (laughs) did one or two hours, yeah. And then I think when you did take that two weeks off, and you're right, it was in the middle of, I think, stage three or four lockdown. Um, um, And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then you were like, nah, I'm feeling really burnt out. And I was like, oh, okay, right. I totally would never have suspected that. 
And I think it's really interesting when you say you went and talked to your director because obviously I've experienced that with my team. And definitely I feel like if you're a good employee, I'm not going to say that for everyone because I know there are not so great employees out there, but if you're a good employee, like honestly, 110% of the time, just trust in yourself that the employer will back you up on having a break. They just simply didn't realise that you're going through that. And so again, it's that self-identification and putting your hand up and saying, hey, I really need this break because I need some time. It's a me time. And it's only when you've been slacking off at work... or haven't been working really hard, would they pull you up on it? But, you know, nine times out of ten, you've been doing a great job and, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I don't need to testify your quality of work, Michael. I've known you for long enough. Like, you know, there's no way that they're going to be like, no, you can't take that time off now. You know, your mental health is the most important thing. So. Yeah, and no one's going to negotiate on your behalf. Mm. Like your employer has obviously a duty to make you feel safe at work, but they don't have a duty to make sure that you take a break, that you need to advocate for yourself yeah. that way. And that's part of the bargain. That's yeah. I think coming to the table as an employee and employer, you've got to let your employer know when you've reached your limit mm-hmm. and then they've got to let you know if you're meeting expectations. Exactly. And if that's really clear and you're both really clear on the expectations, then I think you can have a more productive conversation about hey, I'm reaching the point of burnout and I need a break. Yeah. And you're right. Most employers, if you, I mean, if you are a, a productive team member, most of the time they will understand that Absolutely. you also. And we honestly, from my side of things, we do appreciate that conversation more because then we can plan for your time away or for your break, you know, and it's not getting things half finished or whatever, you know. So those conversations are really important. And that's something that I'm trying to implement within even just my work now in 2021 is to really check everyone's capacity. And you can't, you know, like obviously I've been working with the team for a long time. I kind of know where everyone's at as well, but it's also just saying to them, you know, how's your capacity at? And then they'll say, oh, I'm good, you know, or no, I'm, I'm busy today or yeah, I'm, I'm fine or no, I can take on another project and really getting them to tell me if they're feeling comfortable or not um, to a certain degree, obviously. Some things I go, no, I'm sure you can do that kind of thing <laughs> as well. But yeah, it's that kind of joint effort in making sure that you are comfortable at work and that your workload is at a good place and that therefore, you know, you're not rolling into that burnout kind of period. I just thought of another way that I know that I'm burning out. I think I start going towards more self-destructive behaviors. And one of the ways that I know that I'm burning out is that I will start to try and numb myself through social media. All right. Yeah. So if you could track it, the more stressed or burnt out I feel, the higher my social media use per day. Right. And I'm Interesting. I'm, I'm also going to lump in Netflix. I know it's not social media, but anything to do with like numbing myself, I mm-hmm. would use it way more. So I would see myself on Instagram more or on Facebook more, even on LinkedIn more, just trying to get my thoughts away into thinking about something else. <laughs> I feel and like LinkedIn is such a, a place to be when you're wanting to. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So again, self-destructive behavior is not necessarily good for my, yeah. for my burnout. But I will start to notice that I will want to watch, binge watch series of mm. shows and I'd want to watch this movie after movie just so I don't have to think about what's happening. Mm-hmm. And that's another sign that I know that I'm, I'm really burning out here because generally I don't like watching stuff. I don't. Such I, an opposite to me. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't like watching TV generally. Yeah. I actually like, I would rather like do something like whether that's art or creativity or reading, like these are stuff that I would really enjoy doing. And I just found no joy in those things when I was burning out and I would shift towards these behaviors that aren't great for my mental health. And then I would spiral. 
because mm. the more time you're on, uh, on social media, it's not great for your mental health. Then you're sleeping worse and I was my sleep was already bad. Mm. And then I'd sleep worse, I'd wake up even worse and it would just keep going into a spiral and spiral until you, you sort of like death by a thousand cuts mm. kind of thing. So that's another way that I know. Got to say I'm opposite to you on that front. Yeah, you know, we all have, I think. Yeah, I binge Netflix on a regular basis, but <laughs> not because I am burning out. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a normal thing to do that. Yeah. A lot of people use to just relax. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's but it's, it. it's knowing why you're doing it, I think is really important. Speaking on relaxation, I think we should touch on the points of how we kind of cope with burnout and what are some of the things that we do to manage our stress which I think is quite interesting. <laughs> I'll start <laughs> and I'll start with a bad habit that I developed last year <laughs> that I'm going to own up publicly. Well, I don't think it's that bad, but uh, yeah, anyway, it could be bad. So last year, especially being in lockdown for so long and going through this regular pace of like heavy long hours of work, etc. no differentiation between work and home, that kind of thing. I started drinking more. <laughs> I love my alcohol to begin with, and I'm sure, you know, many people will enjoy their alcohol too. But I initially realized, I thought that that was a way of, like you said, making me feel relaxed. So I started drinking literally after work every night, uh, whether that was to have a beer. And it started out quite fun to begin with, because, you know, Dan Murphy was the one place yeah. that wasn't Coles or Woolies that was open. So I was like, oh, cool, let's go to Dan Murphy. At least it's something else to look at. <laughs> yeah, exactly, it was. And I was like, oh, check out all these craft beers and whatnot. So it was, it was quite fun to begin with. And then I realised, oh, like when I was really feeling anxious, you know, my heart was racing really fast, I would have a beer and it would make everything in my body just relax. It's like exactly what you were saying about the numbingness. That was how I was feeling with And I was associating that feeling to having a drink, whether it was wine or beers or whatever. And then I started realising that I was craving for it more. And that was when it became kind of a point where I was like, actually, and because, you know, thankfully as well, uh, Victor doesn't drink that often. And, you know, he only drinks on like kind of occasions and, you know, on, on, you know, date nights, that kind of thing, or when we're at friends' places or whatever. So he's not a regular drinker, but I was. And then it got to where I was like, I was like, what do you want to drink tonight? And then we're just making dinner. And he's like, oh, I don't know, Coke. And then I was like, oh, have a beer. And then I got to a point where I was like, actually, this is not normal. Like you're becoming really reliant on this sensation that the the drink was giving me, this feeling of like just numbing. I was kind of, you know, like one drink doesn't make me tipsy, but it kind of just gave me this weird kind of really calm. My heart rate was like slowing down. And then I was like, okay, I can cope with replying to emails now. And then I would then power through the rest of my night whilst I was drinking through it, working, you know, it wasn't even like, then I'll have a drink and watch some TV. I was working through why you know while I'm having this drink? That's why you had those weird emails come through. Oh yeah, the slurred speeches, <laughs> the grammar mistakes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sending you random stuff, totally. <laughs> but so I'm not saying that you know drinking every like you know there's always scientific facts. And I'm not going to go into it because I don't know it and I can't comment on it. But I think for me, I definitely don't want to be reliant on it to feel relaxed because I think for me personally, that would then be me into a wrong direction. So uh, that's something that I realised, you know, that was helping, but now it's not something that I'm going to try to rely on. So I have switched over to watching YouTube, but like short kind of videos that are is completely off topic. I don't look at LinkedIn or I don't look at my Instagram or my business Instagram or whatever and my emails when I'm trying to like really 
downtime and just watch a handbag review video for 10 minutes or something that's completely left field and then like my mind's in a different place and so that that's a kind of helping calming mechanism the similarities between you know my social media use your alcohol use is Mm. not so much that those things are bad in and of themselves that's not what we're trying to say it's your motivation for using them Mm. so if you feel like you're becoming dependent on them or you're using them to not think or to numb yourself, I think that's where it gets into the realm of being problematic, where this could lead onto an addiction to some sort and feeling like if you don't do this for, you know, if I don't watch this Netflix series for X amount of time, then I can't function for the rest of the day. Well, that's that's really not a good sign. If I have to watch Netflix in order to sleep, well, then that's when it becomes a bit problematic. And I yeah. think it's that's what you're trying to say with, exactly. with alcohol as yep. well. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I have learned some other, I guess, points that have worked really effectively for me is obviously one, identifying our trigger points, which we've touched on, but also kind of, which I know you'll share in a moment, which I love, kind of talking to myself. It sounds, again, very, very strange, but like I said before, like the shower is kind of like my creative and brain space time. And every time I start to feel like I want to throw up or like I'm in this panic and, you know, my heart is racing and whatnot, I usually, I'm trying to now more so is kind of identify what it is that I'm panicking about and kind of go through the life cycle of that Mm. to myself. So I'll, you know, talk to myself or just mentally tell myself, okay, you know, why are you panicking about this? Okay, you're about to have this meeting. You're freaking out because it's a new client or whatever. Have you prepared for it? Yes, you've prepared for it. You know, like here are some of the answers you've already thought about, et cetera. Just kind of step through that mentally for myself and I feel a lot more calm coming out of the shower because I'm like, okay, you know, Julia, you've kind of thought through everything already. It's okay. And you'll, you'll be fine. Or like just even telling myself that you'll be okay. It suddenly really helps. And I'll just repeat it for a little while. And then I'll be like, okay, I'm, I'm good for the day, you know? And again, it sounds very bizarre, but it works for me. If it works, it's not bizarre. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I like to say. Yep. Yep. And then I think the final thing uh, I would share, and I say this to my team because my lecturer used to say this to me, is that unless you're a doctor or a surgeon in a hospital saving lives, you're whatever you're doing is you're not saving lives. You know, it, it will be okay. And that comes a lot, especially with those working for, in our industry anyway. You know, we always feel a lot of pressure and stress from the artists, from the actors, from the performers, from the client, from your boss, you know, from your colleagues to do well and do everything accurately and detailed and whatever. But at the end of the day, you know, I always say to the team, we're not saving lives here. You know, we're, we're putting on entertainment, we're producing or we're just simply just working and it's okay. You know, like if you can't get it done today, you'll be right. It's going to be there and you'll just work on it tomorrow. So having that realisation is really, really important. My director always says that as well. Mm. She says, no one's going to die if this Google slide deck doesn't get sent to a client. Yeah. Or if if this report doesn't get sent off today, no one's going to die. And just remember that. And often clients don't really, they've got so much on that the clients don't really notice if this is in by the close of business or the midday the next day. They really don't notice And it's really putting all of that, all your work into perspective. So you're right. If you're not a surgeon, doctor, nurse, or some sort of allied health professional where people's lives are literally depending on you, put it into perspective to know that really in the long term, this is not going to hurt anyone and impact you. And it's getting that perspective. Yeah. 
because I think we lose the long-term perspective when we're caught into the day-to-day minutia and that day-to-day stress. And when you're burnt out, everything is blown out of proportion. So Absolutely. it's really hard to do that. Yeah, it's so true. I, I used to like would just be like, I have to write this email. I have to prep all my email, you know, like I have to send it to them because I said to them in that meeting that I'm going to send something <laughs> by COB today or whatever it may be. And I would put so much pressure on myself or I put, I'd lay that pressure on to Victor as well, you know, to prep for a proposal or whatever. And then now I'm trying to be like, obviously space it out and prepare yourself. But like you said, you know, they get it at 5 p.m. today or 8 a.m. in the morning. It doesn't really yeah. And again, what I said at the start is it's really hard to switch off that drive or if you feel like you switch off that stress or you want to switch off to prevent burnout, you almost feel like that you can never turn it back on. Almost like if you put too much water on the fire, that fire will never start up again. And that's what I fear is that if I don't keep this momentum up, I'm going to lose it forever and I'll never get back on that horse again or this fire won't be as strong or as or burn as hard as it was before. And <laughs> in all the times that I've been burnt out, that's never been the case. Yeah. I've actually, have, I've always come back stronger. Mm-hmm. So it's just to remember one, that perspective and two, just to realize that it will come back and actually you will be more productive than you were last time around. And you'll be more emotionally stable, which is good for your job. And it's also good for your productivity. Now, I know you've got some cool tricks up your sleeve. I've got some systems, <laughs> as yep. I like to say. Yeah. And this is it. I'll tell you. So there's, there's sort of three things that I really focus on. And you can see how animated I'm getting. Yeah. I'm so passionate about <laughs> it. I just so love these. I love it. The, the main thing, and I would say I would categorize this as the keystone habit that I have with my self-care to prevent stress in the day-to-day and then burnout in the long-term is exercise. I think, again, this is a no-brainer. This is well-researched. Everyone knows this, that when you go to the gym or you do any sort of exercise for at least 20 to 30 minutes, you will feel better. There's no circumstance where I've felt worse coming out of the gym and said, I wish I didn't go. I've always felt better. And whether it's the chemical endorphin release or that physical exertion of the body, I feel like my stress is then put in perspective after I've worked out, after I've gone to the gym, I'm like, oh, you know, that client's trying their best. They're, they're just a human too. Who knows what they're stressed about? They might've just been a bit short with me. Like who cares? That's literally what I come out with at the gym when I'm walking mm. back to my car. So exercise, I won't go too much into it, but four to five times a week, that's what I'll do. And again, it doesn't have to be complex. You don't have to go to a gym, 30 minute walk, a 30 minute run, 30 minute, I don't know what exercise are there. There's so many things you can do that doesn't require you going to a gym and you can actually in fact do it with other people. So you make it simultaneously social and you get the benefits of exercise. So make it really simple, make it really attractive and do something that makes you have fun at the same time. It kind of feels like play. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For me, that's going to the gym because I I like, you know, putting on my headphones, other people are working out. I get into the, into the rhythm. I feel great. I'm going to interrupt there and um, give you an update because I'm feeling quite proud of myself. Uh, and, and those who've been listening would know, and Michael definitely knows, that I am terrible at exercising, full stop. Even just going for a walk, I don't do it. But I discovered an app. It's a woman's fitness app. 
and it's seven minutes, okay? So the one other issue why I don't like going to exercise is, again, this whole, like, mentality of, like, you need to always be working. But I kind of go seven minutes. Like, you know, going to the gym for me seems like a really long time. I know it's only an hour of the day or half an hour, but for me it, that's a lot of time taken out of my day. And I know that sounds really bizarre, but it is for me. But I found this app and, you know, since we've been talking about exercising so much, I've been trying to – and I definitely don't do <laughs> – was it four to five times exercise a week? I probably do like twice a week of seven to fifteen minutes work of a worth of workout, and I get Victor to do it with me at home on a mat, and it's free. And I've been kind of enjoying that. Well, so long you, that's the main it. thing is you enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. And you're yeah. starting small and sustainable. That's yes. That's the big thing. Yeah. So I'm trying to just do like small bursts of exercise, and then slowly I'll work my way up. Look, I don't want to be offensive, but look. For everyone listening, if Julia can do this, <laughs> you can do this as well. I'm not offended. It's very true. <laughs> <laughs> You've seen her progress. <laughs> the next thing, next few things that I do is I will start and end my day with meditation. And again, this is doesn't have to be extensive and it doesn't have to be complicated. There are many apps that you can get that are free. But with my meditation, I will wake up in the morning, sit cross-legged, back straight, and I'll just close my eyes and focus on my breathing. So I do this thing called resonant breathing. So that's six seconds in through the nose, hold for about six seconds and then six seconds out through the nose. And I do maybe 10 minutes of that type of breathing while I'm just sitting thinking about the day. And when I start off my day like that, I start to really ground myself into what am I grateful for today? You know, I could hear the birds chirping. I could feel the sun coming through. I can feel the heat of the day starting to warm up. So that really grounds me to start a really good day. And then when I do the meditation exercise at night, it helps me decompress from all the, all the either emotion or stress, things that piss me off throughout the day that I've taken on unconsciously and I'm still holding on to it. And when I do that, I start to like, it kind of feels like you're holding two fists and then mm. as you keep breathing, it's got, your, your fists are just relaxing and mm. your whole body starts to relax. And then like, I just feel a sense of calmness that's yep. come over me. It sounds weird, but. Try it. I I, I might try it. It works. (laughs) The last thing I do, and this one is something that I learned from a blogger that I read on a Medium article, is I have a bunch of post-it notes and a pen and I will literally write out everything that I'm worried about. It could be the stupidest thing that I'm worried about the next day. So, for instance, this is how detailed and small my worries got. When we were still traveling into the city – and I would take the train in, I would on a Sunday night, right? I am worried about finding parking Mm. at the train station. I'm worried about finding a seat on the train. I would literally step through all my worries that cause me any sort of stress and will prevent me from sleeping. And after I do that, I feel like my brain is completely empty. And I've actually looked this up. So there's a bit of science behind this is that your brain doesn't know the difference between you actually doing something and you writing something down to do it registers it as it's done, tick. Mm. So by writing it out, your brain, you've tricked yourself, you've tricked your brain into thinking that you've done something about it when you actually haven't, which I think is a great mental shortcut when you're trying to sleep. Because yeah. the, the reason why you can't sleep is your brain is too active. It's got too many things coming in. And when you stop that flow of thought coming through, my sleep has improved dramatically. And this has worked 100% of the time. Mm. When I feel like I'm just a little bit stressed and I feel like I just don't feel quite, 
calm enough, I'll just write down every single thing, no matter how stupid it is. Mm. No one's going to see it. I tear up the post-it note, I throw it away the next day and I'm like, oh yeah, that, that I read it the next day sometimes and I think, wow, that was so silly. And I love that. Yeah, I feel great. Like my sleep is always improved. I think that's so cool. <laughs> the best thing about all these things is they're all free, they're all effective and they're all really simple. They don't require a coach, a course or, mm-hmm. you know, you to spend $1,000 on this equipment. It requires mm-hmm. none of that. It just requires you – you know, a piece of paper and a pen, which I think everyone has just lying around their house. With meditation, you can just close your eyes and focus on your breathing. And with exercise, you can just go for a walk, a run, Mm -hmm. yoga. I mean, the amount of yoga YouTube channels there are now, it's all free. There's so many of them you can do for free. You just need a mat in your your house. And if you don't have a mat, just do it on your carpet. Yeah, yeah. So I like life hacks that are really simple. Mm -hmm. They're really effective and they're free. I like really accessible and democratized life hacks because then I can say, I've tried this. You can do it too because there are no barriers to it. Yeah, definitely. I love your post-it notes. I'm definitely going to try that. I did ask you when you were sharing about this, whether if I wrote that I've exercised, that would <laughs> that would work. Yeah. Unfortunately, like I said before, it doesn't translate into physical exertion, just yeah. you know, psychological <laughs> processes. Yeah. Only. But that's really interesting to know. So awesome. And that's a wrap for episode 19 of the Collective West podcast. In this episode, we're talking about a really important topic that Julia and I have both experienced, which is simultaneously stress and burnout. We hope that you learned from our experiences and once again, do as we say and not as we do. Learn from the tips and tricks that we utilize as well as some of the weird, wacky and sometimes crazy things that we do to manage our stress on a day-to-day basis. 